This is a more than just podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 370 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Summer Panage in Brooklyn, New York today. So, hey, nice so to see how, you, Tim. Good to be you here. Doing? Nice to meet you, finally. Um, uh, been following your, your uh, Twitter posts and, and uh, seeing you hanging from the ceiling of your apartment <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah. Without a net, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, for that kind of work, we don't... We use mats. Like, I do sometimes use a mat, um, but you can't have a net because it interferes with the apparatus. Um, so that was my old apartment. I don't have that in my new apartment. <laughs> So, so just for the people who are listening to the audio version of this, this is, this is, we're talking about, it's, what do you call it? Aerial, uh, aerial rope. Yeah. Or aerial acrobatics. Yeah. Cool. And so you've been doing that for a while. I take it right. I kind of saw that. Gosh, let me think. I think 18 years now. Yeah. 18, 19 years. Wow. Yeah. How did you get started in that? Um, let's see. Good, good question. So as a kid, I did gymnastics and martial arts, and then I got into rock climbing in my teens and that is where I first saw someone doing aerial work in a rock climbing gym because the ceilings are really high. Um, and I immediately was like, oh my God, it combines art and athletics, like teach me everything. And that's where it started is I just started taking lessons with this one woman at my college and it just became almost an obsession and, and kind of took over my life a little bit. So is it a, like I've seen, I think I've seen Cirque du Soleil acrobats mm-hmm. do that. I've probably seen it things that uh, I think uh, like the circus kind of stuff I've seen people do aerial work as well like we so do you like what what is that what kind of field of exercise is that I guess or dance is that um I mean it's just it's, it's kind of it's its own thing like as far as dance goes I've studied lots of kinds of dance over the years um just to kind of help influence how I move in the air um but like the art form itself is is kind of completely unique um and and uh you know I train at like a little aerial studio and you take classes in like conditioning and choreography and stretching and all these different things um and then yeah you can use it for things like Cirque du Soleil um there's a lot of work in nightclubs there's um all kinds of different like places to perform cabarets all kinds of stuff cool yeah well it looks interesting and of course i'm i'm allergic to pain so i will never <laughs> never try that <laughs> it's yeah. a little painful <laughs> yeah well it could be i guess right if you're i guess it take, must take a while to, to you must you must fall occasionally like or yeah i mean you definitely fall a fair bit um no question there i think you learn to fall safely and you learn to train really low to the ground for new movements so the falls are very small the bigger injuries really come from um burns and um like the the wrapping of the rope around the body can move organs and bones around so that can be problematic yeah so is is it like like since we're on it is it like a regular rope or is there like a specialized kind of rope for that it's a special kind of covered rope so you can use different kinds um but the kind that most most artists use um is a usually like a cotton core braided rope and then it's got this like cover on it that gives it just the right texture to make it grippy but not so grippy it like pulls your skin off oh, okay yeah <laughs> i guess that would you be don't a want problem that. <laughs> you don't want yeah. that to happen cool all right, yeah. cool. And so, and and uh, I think you you've been working. You're working as I mean, we're obviously interested in iOS on this show. So, <laughs> you've been working as an iOS engineer for a number of years. I take it right, and and I think you're a manager yeah. of this role in this current role, right? 
Yes. So I'm technically an EM, uh, but I still code a lot because it's, it's a bit of, I can explain more later, but it's essentially, it's a very interesting role that I have at Slack. Um, but yeah, I started iOS development in, um, gosh, 2010. Yeah. 2010. And and before that you studied at at Stanford, I think, right. And yes. So did you do a whole computer science route or no, well, yes and no, I guess my, my master's was computer science, but my bachelor's was psychology. And so I didn't start programming until my senior year of my bachelor's. Uh, so definitely a late bloomer in that respect. Okay. All right. So do you come at that from like the the whole, you know, liberal arts and engineering together kind of, that's sort of one of Apple's credos, but is that, um, is that something that, uh, you kind of would lean towards? Like, I know you're a musician, for example, Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I, it was... (laughs) I don't think I had a plan, truthfully. It's, it's, you know, I wish I could be like, yes, I had this grand plan of doing the, um, you know, little psychology, little computers. Uh, but that's, it was, I think I just, I had a lot of really varied interests and I wasn't quite sure where I would end up. And I thought I wanted to go into psychological research. Um, and then as I started to finish that degree, I was like, ah, oh, it's just not quite the right fit. I need something more engineering-y. And um, someone just kind of suggested I try a computer science class because they knew I was, you know, I like to make little websites and, you know, just odds and ends. Uh, and I took one and was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is what I want to do now. Um, yeah. And so it kind of just it ended up kind of blending together then eventually into accessibility work. Cool. And so we'll come back to accessibility in a minute. But so as a, as a kid, were you like a computer science or sorry, a science math kid or an art kid or just everything and athlete, I guess, too? Mostly I was, I would say I was mostly like a science math kid um, and tinkerer and play on the computer and make little um, programs on my TI calculator, that kind of kid. But I also was a musician. I started playing the flute at ooh, eight, eight, maybe eight or 10, pretty young. Um, and so music was a huge part of my childhood. And then I did, I wasn't a, like, I didn't play team sports, but I was a martial art kid too and so i had my you know karate classes every day after school and so kind of a mix a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. i tried flute for a while too and so so why flute why did you were you drawn to it or <laughs> well growing up I, I grew up and i went to catholic school and uh, the church choir had three instruments in it it had a piano a flute and a guitar so those are the only instruments i knew existed because i'd never seen an orchestra at that point and of those three i really liked the flute um if i could go back in time i would pick the cello Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I always wanted to play guitar. I mean, I play guitar now, but I always wanted to play guitar as a kid, and, and mm-hmm. uh, it just wasn't in the cards for me until I got some, until I got my own money in university, and then I could, you know, <laughs> play some of my student loan on a guitar, but... Yes. Um, yeah, so I tried flute for a while, but I, I was horrible at practicing, and I think the teacher got really frustrated with me, but... <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so so as a kid, you mentioned you, you were working on a computer. Like, what was your sort of early experience with computers? Um, I think it you know, started off like a lot of kids in my generation, you, you know, like, just basic stuff playing around on in you know, in Carta and you know just like learning to use a computer and then eventually I started tinkering with um like making a little I think it was just a little like yeah HTML just little tiny websites or um um yeah GeoCities and you could like customize the themes and and things like that just like little tiny like kind of tinkerings and I didn't even know I you know, no one in my home was an engineer. No one had even actually gone to college. And so like, I didn't know that that type of tinkering was like a job someday. And so it was just like fun and games to me. I was just playing on the computer. Um, and that was really all I ever did was just like make some websites. I think I chopped myself some JavaScript. Um, I got into some of the earlier computer games like King's Quest and Hugo's House of Horrors and those kind of like adventure games and, um, you know, 
text-based sort of things. Um, and those were kind of my early days with computers. Like I, I really enjoyed them, but they were more of a toy to me than anything. Like I didn't know that they could be more. Right. And so were you, like, were you a gamer at all? Like, or just, just computering, like in school and stuff or at home or? No, not, I wasn't allowed to have like a console or anything. Um, so I, I never would say I was a gamer. Like I did eventually, I think when I was in my like later teens, get a Game Boy. Um, mm -hmm. and that was very fun for me. Um, but even then I didn't play it that much. So I would say like, I'm still to this day, like a very lightweight gamer. Like I have a switch, I play some things, but I'm not deeply in, in the world. Right. Right. Well, I think like, you know, I think if you've got physical activities that you do you tend to be less have less time for other things i guess right because i mean you have yeah. to be practicing and stuff like that right i think that was part of it yeah just so much practice <laughs> yeah cool so on the accessibility side you mentioned um how did you get involved in in that i mean like i know you worked as an accessibility manager at apple i assume you were on mm -hmm. the team doing some of that stuff and now you're doing it at slack as well yeah so it it, it all started really quickly so i um my very first job out of grad school was, was Apple, and I was not on the accessibility team, but I was on the UI automation team, and that framework is based on top of accessibility. And I found myself much more excited about the accessibility parts than like my own job, which was the UI automation parts. And luckily, my manager at the time kind of noticed that and ended up embedding me into the Maps team to help with the accessibility of what would become Apple Maps. This is before it had shipped. Um, and so that that's when I met um, the people, who, uh, one of the people who I ended up working with then in the future. Um, but that, and that's also how I got exposed to accessibility, just like as a concept and like started to learn the APIs and, and got really excited about it. Um, and so I spent maybe a year working on the Maps product. And then at that point I chose to leave Apple um, just because I, wanted to spend more time doing circus truthfully doing the aerial stuff um and so that was really the only reason i left at that time but at that point i'd been doing you know kind of some accessibility for a year and then i kind of went to twitter after that and found myself just like really excited about working on accessibility there um like i didn't even it wasn't hired for it but it just was what excited me when i saw the bugs i could choose from yeah, so, I mean, it's an interesting thing because, I mean, uh, my parents, my mother and my sister are occupational therapists, so so accessibility, in a sense, have, has always been, you know, getting through life, getting through the day, putting on your clothes, making your food, you know, mm -hmm. all those kind of things that, that Apple and iPads don't touch necessarily, yeah. or maybe they do, I don't know, but, uh, you know, the the for a lot of iOS engineers, um, accessibility is like we kind of draw the line at, at voiceover. I'm being just generally, that's what I find. And, you know, or we might be setting up something for QA with, you know, by using accessibility identifiers as, mm -hmm. as handles for that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, as, as someone who's obviously passionate about accessibility, can you sort of tell the rest of us who, I mean, I know a lot about it, but I mean, can you tell the, my audience, as it were, um, why, why it's so important? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, it kind of goes back to, I think that you hear Apple say this a lot, but like accessibility is, it's, it's a human right. And uh, like, I fundamentally believe that as well. And so in order for, um, you know, to me, like technology is something that everyone can purchase and that means everyone should be able to use it. Uh, and so accessibility needs to be part of it. And there are, um, you know, there's many different ways that people can use a device and those, you know, those ways can vary in how, you know, through all the different senses, through all the different abilities, through vision, through hearing, through cognition, through learning, uh, through motor abilities, and, and all of those are a complete spectrum. And 
I think that accessibility means trying to meet people where they are um, so that they can enjoy a device and a product or an application just as much as someone who's in a different place and is going to enjoy it in a different way. Mm -hmm. So how would you approach like teaching developers about about accessibility like you know beyond like I said let's just make our table view work with voiceover like I mean I I know that dark mode is is an accessibility mode mm -hmm. and that um, dynamic type is another accessibility feature right I, I actually now and have for the last few years been using l larger type because as you can see I've got my accessibility <laughs> device on my head exactly <laughs> as I get as I get older I've been you know more and more relying on some of these things and it, it's super frustrating when I don't have my glasses on and I try and use my phone and I can't focus on it so mm -hmm. you know I've recently discovered in control control strip control what do you call it control let's call it, say call it control you know the control thing where you can go in control center control center thank you yeah i recently discovered i can actually adjust the fonts right there like you know i can you know so yeah i'm <laughs> discovering these things slowly at a time but great. yeah like on the weekend i was in in chicago in a hotel room and i had just lying in bed checking things and i want i wanted to look at something and i couldn't and i just realized oh yeah i can turn this thing on and then i can just very yeah. quickly make my fonts larger um and that, so that's like a minor thing like a lot of a lot of like easy thing to do is, is mm -hmm. use dynamic type and use all the sort of stuff that Apple's been giving us and, you know, Swift mm -hmm. UI. Obviously, I think it has a lot of um, accessibility built in. Definitely. Right? Um, but, yeah, I forgot what my question was. <laughs> but, yeah, sort of like how to, like, beyond, like I, and I've seen videos. Like, I posted one of our videos we posted. I was thinking about this before I joined the call this morning today that um, there was a young gentleman who did... Uh, a video on how he he has like the the, the touch pads behind his head uh, oh was this, like, um, was this chris hills might have been yeah i think that sounds familiar he's is got, he using got, switch control to like edit movies with his, yeah, with his, yeah, head? With his yeah. head yeah yeah and that was an he's amazing, amazing yeah yeah and 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 funny like super funny right so yes um, but yeah, like that's like those are the kind of things that I think that the average engineer doesn't think about, you know, uh, in their day to day job that, that there are people using your app who who need like all the sort of pieces all to be accessible, mm -hmm. I guess. Right. So yeah. uh, when I was at Apple, you know, a couple of years ago it was when they had a big accessibility push. I think it was 2020. 2020 or 2021 and it was a center of of a lot of talks at wwdc i think that year right mm -hmm. so that's another reason why i thought it was kind of important but and i think that's where i stumbled across your name <laughs> actually yeah i think i gave a talk that year so that would that would make sense <laughs> oh okay yeah, okay cool yeah yeah, yeah nice yeah so yeah. anyway cool so i mean so are you going to be talking about accessibility at swiftio there's a reason why we're talking to yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I will be talking about accessibility, although unlike I think most of my previous talks, usually I've done technical talks and I've done, like you were saying, like here's how to implement accessibility for voiceover, here's dynamic type, things like that. Um, and this one will be different. This one is looking at um, more about accessibility at the company scale, like what does it mean to build an accessible product? Like what does that, what does that term mean? Um, and then we'll also be looking at the culture of a company and how that can lead to a more accessible product and like what it takes to have a culture that cares about accessibility. What does it mean to have an accessibility team and like what are the different formats for that? So yeah, it's, I'm excited because it's a new talk. I'm still, I'm still writing it, truth be told, um, or actually I've written it, but I'm still working on the slides. And, um, but it's, it's, it's felt important to talk about that because I think that in some ways, it can be easy to focus on just the APIs, but often, if you're in a, the context of a larger company, there's so much more to making the product accessible. 
Yeah, and it's not just the iOS app, it's the Android app, it's the website, it's, mm -hmm. you know, even calling in on the phone kind of thing can be part of that whole thing, right? So, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's an interesting thing about yeah, changing a culture to be more accessible. It's interesting. So mm -hmm. how would so let's say you were given like a, an elevator pitch to my company, what would you what would you say about how what how to become an accessible company? <laughs> I think Let's see how would I. I think well, part of what I, I guess part of what I'm I talk about in my in my talk is that accessibility is both a state of a product. It, it, a product can be accessible, and it's also a practice that a company has to practice in order to maintain that state. And and so you know any company can hire contractors, can hire people to come in and make a product accessible one time. But if you as a as a company actually want to build an accessible product, then you need to have a practice of accessibility. It needs to be part of how the product is developed. And the process to making a product accessible, from what I've seen in my time in industry, it, it's not doesn't happen just at the, at the coding phase, right? The product starts long before the code ever starts. It starts with the inception and the product, maybe you have product people, maybe you're just a group, a group of folks talking about an idea, but either way, it, it starts there with the idea. Like, what does this idea mean for someone who maybe can't see, for someone who maybe can't hear? What does this idea mean in those cases? How do we think about it? Um, and then it goes through every phase of, of the product, right? It goes through the design, it goes, it goes through the implementation, of course, the code itself, it goes through the QA process. Um, the feedback that then comes in, how do we handle that feedback? How do we think about it? Um, but every, every part of the company's practice is also needs to have accessibility in it. And so that's why it, it can't just be an afterthought because you can't have something be all of your, in all parts of your process and also an afterthought. Those don't go together. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, 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 we had, I worked at a Canadian bank uh, for years and we had actually um, a visually impaired gentleman with, you know, with a, a dog and, and a whole team of people who dealt with accessibility. I see what you're saying about that, right? Mm -hmm. So, but how would you help someone become an advocate for, in their company to, to try and drive some of these ideas in their culture? Yeah. I mean, the truth is it can be, it can be really hard, right. To, to advocate for these, for these things internally. Um, I think one of the most important things that, that I've, I've learned when it comes to like advocating for accessibility is that it's, um, is consistency. It, it, it's not just about, it is about speaking up. Um, it's very much about speaking up. It's about elevating the voices of people with disabilities, whether they're inside your company or outside, um, but helping those voices be heard. But then it's also about doing it consistently. And I think it can be, um, it can be tempting to, you know, to make a cool prototype that showcases accessibility. Um, it can be tempting to give a talk internally about accessibility. And those are all awesome things to do. And I fully think you know, people should do them if they're motivated to. Um, but the, the tricky part is then continuing to do those things and continuing to bring up the topic and not letting it just be a cool moment, but reminding people that this isn't about a moment. This is, this is whole lives, you know, if someone has a disability, it can often be, not always, but often be a, a lifetime, a lifetime thing. And so accessibility also needs to be considered kind of as this long-term thing, not a moment. Um, and so I think along with kind of doing, you know, show, you know, pushing for accessibility in a way that feels good to you and feels like a way you can do it, it's then remembering to do it consistently. And I think that's the biggest thing that that I've, I've certainly had to learn the hard way and now I'm trying to embody is just that level of consistency with like continuing to approach it. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I saw an article from Microsoft a few, I think it was a month or so ago, that they kind of defi- they they pointed out that accessibility isn't just like you know someone who's been injured in an accident or someone who's born mm-hmm. with a disability. It can be me like hurting my leg and not being able to walk or drive my car. Now I have to get a you know maybe I have to get a wheelchair while I'm re- recuperating, mm-hmm. or or even me lying in a hotel room without my glasses on, <laughs> you know, tempor- yeah. temporary, you know, temporary accessibility as well. And it can be, can be like, sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's not visible. Like, you know, yeah. can be deafness or, or mutism, mute, not being able to speak, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it can be any number of, of things that it make that, that require some sort of accessibility assistance, right? From yeah. the product. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so true. Yeah. It can be you know, a lifetime disability. It can be, like you said, it could be situational. It could be temporary disability. Like all of these things, like accessibility is just about meeting the person where they are, and like where they are can be right now, or it can be always. Like it's just about meeting them there. Sure. Yeah, and I, I read somewhere that I think, uh, or saw something. I think that eighteen percent of Americans are have some sort of disability of some type, right? So. It, you know, when we look at the numbers and say, well, does it justify this feature being added? Well, if it, I think if, if, if you can extrapolate and say 18% of your audience might need accessibility, maybe you should mm-hmm. think about it, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's easy to think of disability as, I think, as an other problem, but it, it's, it's not. Like you said, then it is, disability is, is everywhere. It is often invisible. And I think it's important for it to be part of the conversation whenever we're making something for people because <laughs> people right. have disabilities right. cool all right well i have um a, a part of the part of the show you, you saw you saw one of my interviews and i like to ask these questions to people uh to sort of you know for surprise them i guess and surprise me too in terms <laughs> okay. of the answers right they're not your some of them are based on marcel proust questions in fact the first one is a marcel proust question and some of them are stephen colbert questions and, and a few Ooh. that i've made up so uh so well if you're ready and you're seated comfortable we can start in on those <sighs> Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> ready? Okay, cool. So what is your motto? Oh my gosh. What's the reason people come to summer? Oh, I don't, this is like really hard. I do have a motto. I, gosh, I feel like my old motto used to be try harder, which sounds awful. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if I, that's my current motto. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't know if I have something better than that. Generally, the idea is I'm, I'm oh, actually, someone just said this to me the other day and I loved it. And I, I wanted to steal it. There was a they said to me, Summer, you're someone that gets things done. And I like to think of, I like to think about that as true. Like if someone comes to me for, especially if it's for a work situation for something around accessibility, it's, it's cause I'm going to do it. Like I, I, I really am very action oriented and I, I like that about myself. <laughs> oh, all right. That's acceptable. Um, <laughs> who are your hero? Who are your heroes in real life? Ah, in real life. Um, that's a really good question. I think in um you know there's some some folks in the acrobatics world that obviously i have a lot of um admiration for um and some artists that i i follow very very closely and i think that you know for me i spend so much of my time being kind of on the computer and in my head that if someone can create art that like pulls me out of my head and like puts me like more in my heart and more in my like feelings um that's something that I, I really admire and I think it's really, really important. So I think on the kind of artistic side of my life, I can think of, you know, some artists that I, I really admire. Um, and, you know, in the technology side, I think, I mean, in truth, a lot of the, the engineers that I worked with at Apple are people I admire to this day and will continue to admire. Um, you know, people on the accessibility team, um, 
some of the the longtime engineers that have like worked on Xcode or um, some of the Swift team. Like these are just some of the most brilliant people I've ever met, and it's it's an honor to have worked with them. And I I still you know I, I follow their work today. Cool. All right. Um, what words or phrases do you overuse the most? <laughs> Probably analyze this podcast and find out. Um, uh, gosh. I, th- I think I say, um, ab- I use the word absurd a lot. That is a, I, I think I refer to many things as absurd. Um, I'm trying to take the word crazy out of my va- vocabulary and I think I've, I've replaced anything. I'm trying to replace it with absurd. I think that's a better word. Um, and what else? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Absurd. Okay, I say that a lot. Right. Well, let's come, let's go back to what is your favorite word? favorite word um i okay so in in spain and this is not in english but in spanish there's um i actually forget if it's um, dawn or dusk i think it's dusk but there's the word madrugada and i'm saying it terribly because my spanish accent's not very good madrugada and i think it's the most beautiful word in the world like i just love that word i think it's just so pretty to listen to um in english when i was very young i got obsessed with the word spatula I don't know why. I just thought it sounded like spatula, like sounded so good, um, and it sounded all, like it almost sounded onomatopoetic, even though I don't think it's supposed to be. Um, and I just, I really liked it. So that's in English. That that one comes from like childhood, like ten years old, and then yeah, madrugada for Spanish. Cool. All right. What's the best sandwich? Oh, the best sandwich. Um, well, I think we can. As long as we can call bagels sandwiches. I live in New York now, and so my go-to is an everything bagel with lox and chive schmear, and that is that is my go-to. And I could live well, on that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna allow that that uh, that one. <laughs> cool. Apples or oranges? Oh, definitely apples. My fridge is full of them. <laughs> yeah, and can you put peanut yeah. butter on an apple? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. Peanut butter goes on almost everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever asked anyone for their autograph? Oh. I think only once. Um, I was at a concert for uh, it was a Joshua Bell concert, and I was very young, maybe like fourteen. Um, and I was a very big Joshua Bell. He's a violinist, and a very big fan of him. And he came out afterwards, and I think I did ask for an autograph. But I think that's the only time um, I had him sign. I think it was the Red Violin soundtrack, if I remember correctly. Cool. Well, I, if you ever write a book, and I run into you, and I have the book in my hand, you're going to sign it. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I ever read a book. <laughs> well, you never know. Never. What's your favorite action movie? Action movie? I don't. I don't actually watch a lot of action movies. Well, what's your, um, what's your favorite movie? Let's go with that one. Okay, we'll do that. Um, I think my comfort movie is Moulin Rouge. No question. I I have probably I probably have the whole thing memorized. Wow. Um, I think one of the best movies of uh, that I've ever seen is uh, this is a classic. Everyone, I think everyone loves this. Is, is Twelve Angry Men. Um, that's just an incredible classic that I love so much. Um, action, I won't necessarily say it's my favorite action movie, but I did just, I have just recently watched the two newest Spider-Man movies, the the Spider-Verse ones, and they're not, they're animated, obviously, but they're still action. And those are, like, the animation there blows my mind. Um, I I could watch those all day. So those are definitely, I think, as as action as I get. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, I just saw the last one, too, and, and, um... As an artist, I and as digital artist as well, I keep looking. I can't watch the movie and not think, how do they do that scene? You know, like as I'm watching yeah. 
the textures in the background. I'm, you know, not so much even like watching people punch each other. I'm just looking mm-hmm. at the skylines and <laughs> yeah. the color effects and stuff like that. But uh, but timely wise, I have to ask you though. This is this is I'm gonna maybe a new question may may only survive for a short while. It's kind of a four parter. Oh, okay, okay, wow. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Barbie before Oppenheimer, or Oppenheimer before Barbie. Oh my goodness. Um, I haven't seen any yet, but my current thoughts on how I'd like to approach this is Oppenheimer before Barbie. Okay. Um, and the reasoning would be that I feel like Nolan films tend to make me think a lot. And I'm going to need to clear my mind eventually. So I feel like I'd start the day early with Oppenheimer, have a good think over my bagel. Um, and you know, then toward the evening, that's when maybe a little tequila and Barbie, um, <laughs> lighten the mood a bit. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So I, I, side question though. So like, uh, I don't know if you know that the, there's a, there's an, uh, IMAX 70 millimeter IMAX special edition of Oppenheimer, I've heard, I've but it's heard. only playing in 30 cinemas. I don't know if it's, if it's playing anywhere in New York, near New York. It's playing in Ooh. two near me. Okay. But, and I had to, I had a ticket on Monday, but I had to fly to Chicago. So I had missed it. So I watched it. Oh. I saw Oppenheimer last Friday. I found a single soul, single seat and I went and watched it in a, in a really good oh theater gosh. downtown, but I have to go back and watch it on IMAX. But I'm just, I'm curious, like if you could, would you go see it in, in that format? In New York yes. somewhere. Yeah, yes. if, if it's if I if I could, I would definitely look for that format. I, I love it. Um, I don't know. I, lo- I kind of enjoy. I enjoy the specialty film formats. Like there, um, there was a Cinerama in Seattle. I think it closed down, but I used to whenever I was in Seattle, I'd go see something there just because it's like such a specialty format. Yeah, we have we have a uh, a place called TIFF here. Well, we're going to be at TIFF uh, for the, the yeah. at and it's Toronto International Film Festival Bell Center Bell. Bell is our phone company here, but uh, and I got the name completely butchered. But um, I I'm a member of TIFF and I go see like you know they'll show a movie um, and I'll go, I'll run down and see it you know kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I've seen like Terry Gilliam movies that were that were came out in the 80s on film. Mm-hmm. Like you know a friend of mine put on a showing of Clerks on film you know which is kind of really cool. Like things that's you've awesome. only ever seen them on VHS before, right? So yeah, that's cool. Well, I'm glad we got the Bob Barbie Oppenheimer thing out of the way. Very important. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the most used app on your phone? Oh, gosh. Um, I think it's, oh, it's so embarrassing. I think it's probably Instagram. <laughs> and I hate, I hate that that's true, but I think it is. Um, I'm going to go check. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a real proper answer. We're going to check screen time. And we're going to really find out. But I'm, I'm betting you it's Instagram. Um, mostly just because like, that's where all my circus friends are. So there's a lot of video content. So it really, it really pulls me in because I'm watching them do all their cool, their cool tricks. Okay, it's actually, it's, about, it's, it's, it's pretty much a tie um, between Instagram and, and messages, which that, that makes sense. I do a lot of texting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny when I look at my phone, I, we use Slack at work. So Slack ends up being my huh? top. <laughs> I thought you'd like to hear that. Um, Aww. <laughs> what? Yeah. What's your idea of perfect happiness? Oh, wow! Perfect happiness. I, I, you got deep real quick. Okay, let's yeah. see. Perfect happiness. I think. I think for me, it's it's about being fulfilled in kind of different ways. Um, like I think I don't know. Happiness to me is almost a misnomer of the state that I'm thinking of. Because to me, happiness is like it's a it's a it's a peak. You have peaks and troughs, and um, I guess for me, it's it's perfect happiness would be more of contentment, and that would be being fulfilled in my work, um, in my in my personal life, um, 
you know, so, so like work that I find fulfilling, a personal life that, you know, that brings, brings joy. Um, and then in, in kind of all the other spaces, like finding ways to, um, for expression and art, I think is something that brings me great joy. And so I think if I have those kind of facets of my personality met kind of like the friendships, the, the work and the art, then that is a, a I feel content in that place. Cool. All right. Um, this is my qu- original question, but and I've, I'm going to go back to the original qu- the original version of it. It's mod- been modified over the over the podcast, okay. but so Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, that's that's good. Um, definitely Star Wars for me. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I did grow up on Star Trek, but I think I fell in love with Star Wars a little bit more just because the time I watched them in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because you know a lot of people. A lot of people have been fighting for Star Trek in the last you know several episodes, right? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, I had one uh, Daniela with Stargate, uh, which I thought was interesting, and um, oh. I, I interviewed um, James Thompson, who put me had me put Doctor Who on the list, right? But oh, well, if I had been there, I would have gone with Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, how far back with Doctor Who do you go? Do you go like the new series or the original series? Or I haven't seen so the new series. I, I haven't seen the most recent seasons, but I saw the new series up until Jody came on. I saw them probably. I think I saw it three times through um, the whole new series, and then the old series. I don't think I've seen everything, but I've probably seen them most episodes at least once. Cool. All right. What number am I thinking of? Uh, seventy-two. Oh, so close. You actually got them backwards. You're, you're the closest person. Oh, it's 27? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, do you, <laughs> last question. Do you have okay. a dream that you can remember? A dream that I can remember? Oh, gosh, I do. This is... This isn't a um, recurring dream, but it's one I had as a child, and it was... Um, there was a... My grandma, my, my grandmother did a lot of the work raising me and she wore this turquoise ring, this huge turquoise ring, and it scared me as a little girl. And in the dream, the turquoise ring was like in the wall and it had a face on it and it would like talk to me and it would like steal my cookies and things. And that dream I can, to this day, I can still remember it, even though I probably haven't had it since I was five. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. One of my dreams that I can remember is, is I was thinking I was about six or seven. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember not being able to go back to sleep after that one for sure. <laughs> Yeah, still cool. still sticks with me. <laughs> All right. Well, this is the part of the show where I ask uh, you to tell um, the listeners, you know, how to get in touch with you if they want to and where they can find you. And um, let's go with Twitter just in case you want to use that one as one of the options. Because <laughs> today, <laughs> yeah, this weekend they changed, right? So I'm, I'm still calling it Twitter. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. But so, uh, if, same. so the summer, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? So they, I am still on Twitter, although, you know, see how long that lasts, but, um, it's just my first name, S O M M E R at, and that's a Twitter. Um, so just a simple handle there. Um, you can also find me on Mastodon. Um, same, same thing, summer, but it's, uh, I have to get my, my domain I'll have, li- Macaw I'll have, li- I'll have links in the show notes. So oh, great. So yeah, it'll be, yeah. Summer at Macaw social. Those are probably the main two for social media. And if you are interested for some reason in my weird circus shenanigans, um, that would be Instagram. And that is summer rope, um, with just one R in the middle. Oh, cool. All right. Well, my name is Timitra, uh, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine, on Mastodon, on Blue Sky, on what else is there? Oh, no, oh, threads. threads. There's threads Thread. now. Yeah, I'm on threads too. <laughs> oh, there's not much, you know, I, I'm disappointed in Blue Sky and threads. There's not much happening over there yet, but I guess yeah. it's early. I'm technically on them, but I wouldn't, I would, yeah, it's like I wouldn't say I'm a u- use them yet. I just kind of am checking it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Well, so until next time, we'll see you in the future. 
Bye. <laughs> this has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. super fun thank you <laughs> yeah so what, what so what do you do for uh in in brooklyn I'm, like so how is brooklyn because of work or brooklyn no it was really just um i'd always wanted to live in new york is really all it is and yeah. i um i think a lot of people kind of had their like i don't know kind of like a come to jesus moment during the pandemic where I, for me it was just like like i want it was it was tough because i was like if i stay at apple which was what i was kind of intending to do i was like i'll never get to live in new york most likely and okay. like i was pretty bummed about that thought and i was like you know what i'm gonna take the chance i'm gonna just i'm gonna do it so i i moved out here got a job at slack um which is based in san francisco but they have you know fully remote roles um and and just did it and mostly i think new york drew me in because of the arts and the performance here there's a ton of circus community um mm. And so, yeah, that's kind of what happened. Yeah, I think Magne Ma uh, Manhattan's a real magnet for me too, especially because I, I studied fine arts, so I'm, I'm more, mm -hmm. you know, the MoMA and Guggenheim and things like that, right? They're, they're kind of attractions for me. Like whenever I'm in a, a city, I'll go and visit the art gallery for, if I have mm -hmm. like an hour, even just an hour, right? So yeah, but no, that's cool. So and so, did that. you move out during? while everything was still closed down like did you make that decision to move to brooklyn or change jobs during the pandemic or yeah yeah it all happened during kind of, i would say like late phase pandemic like things were starting to kind of open up when i made the decision um mm -hmm. but certainly not you know it was still definitely like you know pretty consistent masking and you know i think we were only up to three vaccines or something then um but yeah it happened during the pandemic i, I arrived in new york actually drove across the country um over christmas over the holidays um and I, I got to new york in like january 3rd i think of 2021 hmm. did you do yeah. drive straight through or you take your time and check things out as you came took my time yeah i did um so i did the southern border route because i didn't want to have to deal with snow in an rv i rented right. an rv okay. um and um did the southern border and i think i did 11 days yeah. So is that, that like, nice like cross Texas to Georgia and then up the coast? Kind of yeah. Like? Yeah, exactly. Like all the way to the Florida pan, uh, you know, all the way to Florida. I think Jacksonville is where you, you make the turn and then you head north. And have you, have you done these treks across the U.S. in the past or... Or just that was time. the biggest that yeah. was the, the i'd never done a full u.s crossing and it was always one of my dreams so i kind of got two dreams with like in new york u.s crossing in, a, in an rv um checked off two boxes there uh yeah i'd never done a, that road trip that big before i'd done like the west coast and i'd done the east coast for the most part but i hadn't right. done yeah the, the big thing i didn't ask you like where, where were you originally from like where were you 
Oh, I was born in Portland, Oregon. Lived there for 18 years, and then Bay Area after that. Um, oh, I see. So you're a West Coast person, left very coast Very West Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, very West Coast person. But I needed to do my I needed my stint in New York. I don't know if New York is forever for me, but it's definitely like a wonderful place to have you know a few years of my life. Yeah, I think you know uh, of the American cities for me, New York. New York's probably the the biggest and most. Um, most challenging, I guess, but Boston is attractive. I went to a lot of conferences mm. in Boston, my early publishing career, mm. and then obviously the Bay Area, right? I've never been to LA, so no opinion about that. And I've been to Seattle because when I started iOS, I mean, mm. I kind of had to learn iOS real quick because it was like a, a job lend on my desk, and and I knew nothing yeah. about iOS other than mm -hmm. there was an SDK, right? Yeah. Um, and the iPad was coming, and it had to be on the iPad uh, early, so I jumped on a plane and flew to Seattle. So I, that's why I kind of wander around Seattle a little bit so yeah but yeah I, and I've lived in Vancouver too so I thought um you know it's kind of I'm used to that kind of life but I think San Francisco is a draw but of course it's super expensive right my New York's not not too cheap either but I guess is that why yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn as opposed to Manhattan kind of thing is that a more economical choice definitely it's a little more economical um mostly like the with the, the HOAs like the HOAs in Manhattan are whew, I they're just a whole nother rent. Uh, it's pretty steep. And uh, Brooklyn was just a little more affordable. I could get a little more space. Um, and, and st you know, it's a bit quieter. You know, I'm in Brooklyn Heights and I live right on the park and yeah, it's, it's pretty quiet compared to, you know, the hustle bustle of, um, you know, being in Manhattan. So those were all you, part of the decision. But if you want to go like spend a Saturday downtown Manhattan, you can, you can just jump on a train, oh, yeah. I guess. I can or get, so yeah, my, my aerial studio actually is right in Midtown and I think it's door to door 35 minutes and that includes all the walking and all that too. And so, yeah, so it's, um, it's pretty quick Midtown and yeah, Midtown in 30 minutes. I can get to like Soho in like maybe 20. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, like I said, my only experience is, is I think maybe traveling. I don't think I've ever I've I've been I've been to like LaGuardia and I've been to mm -hmm. uh, JFK, but I don't think like other than that, I've only ever been in in Manhattan, like Penn Station yeah. kind of thing, and from there walking around, right? So yeah, cool. Yeah, I got to go to like an Apple workshop in 2017, so that was fun. Oh, fun. <laughs> nice. Was it, was it 2017? Uh, somewhere in there. Yeah. And I had I had like an hour to do MoMA, so I. Went to mm -hmm. the top floor and ran down. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I still yeah. haven't done MoMA. I, I need to catch up on I've been doing a lot of Broadway shows, but I haven't done a lot of museums yet. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, uh, MoMA is obviously like somewhere I, like, I would like to have spent more time, but yeah, it was just sort of, mm -hmm. I had been there before, so I knew, I knew what was generally there, but yeah. they just sort of had to do an update kind of thing. Yeah. You know, museums are fun again. because they change, like, you know, even, even if you go like within six months, they've put new yeah. things in. I was I was disappointed for the longest time because the San Francisco uh, Modern Museum was closed for like yeah. I can't tell you how many years, right? Mm -hmm. So I think I went to an Apple thing and um, at that we were our, the company I was with were were, were doing a workshop at Apple and um, mm -hmm. so I got to do um, I got to see the the reopened uh, San Francisco Gallery. Oh no, it was a comp. Yeah, San Francisco Gallery was really cool. So yeah, I actually went to the SF MoMA. It was, it was after moving to New York, but I was back in San Francisco and I was, I was spending time with a friend there and, and we went to, there was a specific and musical installation at the SF MoMA um, from this Icelandic artist. And, and so we went mm. to see that and hear it and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's around the corner from the new Apple store, I think, at Union Square, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not too far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. And I just, I just, I just, I went to. Um, it's my third or fourth time being in Chicago, so I went to the um, mm. the Art Institute there and just caught up on the American art this time, actually. Oh, nice, <laughs> yeah, nice. So I finally got to see the Hopper and American Gothic, and mm-hmm. you know, in the flesh, as it were. So. Yeah. Oh, so, so cool. Yeah, it's always fun when you see, yeah, see something like, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, but, I mean, you know, we studied these things in, in I've, I've, you know, through high school and university, it was always a slide on the wall and you never have any mm. idea of scale or like the Miro paintings are like this big, you know, and then the Picasso mm. ones are like, you know, huge. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just but saw I was, the scream for the first time in, in Norway. And it was the same thing where oh. I was like, oh, that's surprisingly small. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, I've not, I've not, I've seen some, I went to the Louvre, I've seen some stuff in Europe, but I've not seen that one. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, cool. Well, great to meet you, and we'll look forward, I'll look forward to seeing you in a week or so, I guess, right? Almost, yeah, very soon, there. I really, yeah, we're almost there, I gotta finish those slides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> time to get on it. Um, yep. Yeah, so we'll look forward to seeing you at the, at the conference, and looking forward to your talk. Yeah, thanks, looking forward to seeing you too, take care, thanks for great. having me. Thanks, nice to meet you. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye.